not only is it just the Word of God and the normal kinds of things, but I actually got to preach this sermon at Mars Hill. And um, I just started to talk to a couple of my friends who were there and started to go down through the sermon. And people thought I was some tour guide, and pretty soon there was a crowd of people that just showed up. And we were right in front of the plaque. If you've ever been there, there's there's a big metal plaque where it talks about the unknown God. And I got a chance to share exactly what Paul shared with people 2,000 years ago. I hope somebody will be in heaven as a result of that. But it was a time that my wife and I had just a blessed, blessed time. So we're in Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, that would be Mars Hill, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Verse 23. For as I have passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I have found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And then he goes on in that sermon and explains it in just really, really relevant ways to their culture. This is the foundation of which the Celtic evangelist worked. They found ways for the people of ancient, what we now call Ireland and Wales and Scotland and the British Isles, they found ways to indigenize the gospel and to make it so relevant, so If I was going to make today's relevant to Rich Milligan, I would have to talk about Notre Dame and Kentucky because he was at that game last night. And we can talk about all kinds of parallels and metaphors and that kind of thing to communicate the gospel. And that's what these Celtic evangelists did. That's what Paul did. He walked into that city of Athens where it was said that there were more gods and statues of gods and there were people and this jew who had been raised in this culture that anything of idols was absolutely breaking the ten commandments and horrible he said okay i'm very uncomfortable here it's it says when he came there uh in verse 16 it says that his spirit was provoked as he saw the city was full of idols Uh, I don't know what the worst thing you could imagine spiritually for you to be, but that that setting, that's what it was for Paul. But yet he persevered so he could tell them, share with them about the living God who they did not know. And this is what the Celtic evangelists did, and we're going to learn a little bit about that. Dave, I know you've got to go quickly today, I think, so pick up your hymnal and start our experience today of, of Celtic worship and... And I believe our focus is on Welsh tradition. Uh, is there, that there, right, Wales? There's some Welsh today, and there's, yeah. there's some, uh, we're, we're going back into England today. Oh, okay, all and right. St. Aidan, St. David, yes. Um, so um, many of you will recognize this Welsh tune. Um, maybe your parents sang it to you at night. through the night. And I'm glad that our hymnal has, uh, I think, two other texts, additional texts with that tune, which is so well known, that Welsh tune. But I'm going to ask that we begin by singing. Would you turn in your hymnal, please, to number 37, 37, because the Ashgrove is another well-known Welsh tune that uh, we enjoy singing, I think. Number 37. Let all things now living and um, uh, any way you would like to engage in this, uh, you're welcome to sing harmony or parts. Um, The melody is there for you for the verse, but then you can go into harmony if you'd like. Let's enjoy this. Guiding us on to thy 
shadows have vanished, fearfulness banished, as forward we travel from light into light. By law, God enforces the stars in their courses, the sun in its orbit. So I start with that, and I'm going to have a sing one other. Uh, I started with that because even the text is again a reminder of one of the primary tenets of Celtic Christianity, Trinity. Because I think two weeks ago it was that we sang St. Patrick's Breastplate. And um, we continue to realize how important the triune God is um, in the theology of the Celtic tradition, certainly also in Wales. And um, there, there is, I've, and by the way, Greg, I did do a little bit of research for today because I felt bad for not having done any preparation before. And what I learned is that there seems to be, uh, especially in the Welsh uh, part of the Isles, not only a concentration on the fundamentals of triune God, but also the uh, fact that we are an incarnational faith too, so that we are Christ in the world. We uh, um, know that Christ indwells, and uh, we even hear, we are reminded of that in our epistle lesson, the great humility hymn too. So, um, and related to that is cosmology. In my reading, I've learned that the cosmos is an important part of the Celtic tradition in Wales. And that uh, I kind of took that one step further in my thinking, and, uh, and I'm sure Greg and Debbie and others would have thoughts about this, that um, we, we are aware of um, a Inimental God, the inimments of God, that is the indwelling of God in uh, the universe, in all of creation, in, um, uh, in us. And so, I think all of that relates to what we just sang, that all of creation praises God, and we give thanks to God for all of creation. Let's um, just do a quick review of some other uh, resources in our hymnal. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to turn to all of these. This will be a little bit of do you recognize uh, kind of thing. There's a wonderful tune that we sometimes sing for communion, and it's called Arfon, and I'm not good at Welsh uh, pronunciations, and I don't know if anyone else here is. So maybe you recognize that tune. We uh, can sing that for the Eucharist. And here is a tune that has two versions, one in major and one in minor. You may not recognize the one in major. Let's see if you do. Uh, well, actually, um, the choir has sung a version of this one. Not as well known to our whole congregation. You'll know this one. Long Lofren. Any any of the if you look in the index, if it has two if it starts with two consonants, like two L's or uh, L W or something, bunch of consonants all together is probably Welsh. And so here's a version of that in major. So that's, uh, th it's given a different tune, but it's the same uh, melodic pattern. And what we know about our, our own exposure, I think even in this country, is how important Welsh singing is in, in Welsh tradition. Um, 
it, it's just, it's all over the world, Welsh singing groups. And um, I think you may even know that in Wales, if you hear people talking about the world games, you know what it's about. It's about singing. It's not about any sport, uh, or in fact, if singing isn't indeed a sport. So there are international games all over the world, but it all originated in uh, Wales for singing and dance, folklore, poetry. And um, so there's a huge tradition that began in the Celtic uh, culture, even in the 12th century, of gathering for competition and um, the uh, Celtic bards had very elaborate ways of e evaluating and judging these competitions for poetry and dance and singing. And uh, so the whole singing thing is just a way of life. There's uh, the name of that competition or that gathering, I can't even say it right, but it's something like a stuffed, it's, it means sit, be sit and be, because we stop our work enough to be in Christ, to be in God, to be in nature and creation and just celebrate it. And so um, there are these competitions or these festivals even in the small villages all over Wales, not just in Cardiff in the big cities. Um, and for some reason, which I'll never really understand, it was about almost three years ago, uh, summer of 12, that my f uh, older boy had just graduated from college and he had a job. He could start immediately. He delayed the start of that job six weeks so he could go with his men's uh, glee club to a uh, competition in Wales, uh, long often, and uh, it was just such an important part of uh, his life to be into that whole um, expression of, of singing as a way of being. And um, I, I think that that just is a wonderful testimony of, of how important uh, s music and dance and folk tunes are. Well, let's, let's end this with, well, first of all, I'll remind you about this tune. This is a tune that we've sing, we sing at Christmas a lot. Our new hymnal has this tune uh, also for a, a, a resurrection text. Here's one we're, uh, that you'll recognize. And let's end by singing one that I know you'll recognize as a Welsh tune. Number 12, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Immortal, Invisible. This is probably, if, if uh, you asked, do you know any Welsh hymns, this would probably be one's quickest answer. Uh, let's, let's sing uh, first and fourth verses. Immortal, Invisible, one and four. I, I bet you do. I don't know it. I can't, I can't remember it, but yeah. that's how it, their rugby team sings this. And they probably sing it in harmony because they do. harmony is the only way. And, and you better not change that harmony or look out. You know. <laughs>
So you see on the picture, this is St. David's Cathedral, and St. David is the patron saint of Wales, and he is known to, he started a revolution of prayer. If you're going to be a revolutionary, this would be a prayer revolutionary. And so thank you, David. Um, and you're as good unprepared as anybody is prepared, so, but thanks for that special. And there's some other, there's some other, uh, Dave, there's some other, what, composers and, and authors that would be, I think, maybe how he's being accosted back there. David, other, other composers or authors in the hymnal, Howe would be another Welsh, and William Williams, right? And Rayfon Williams, am I correct? Yeah, and Rayfon Williams is actually claimed more by England now yeah. than, than others. Um, and, and so Jim reminded me of another tune I should have included, a Kumranda. So we've got a lot in our hymnal and a lot, there's a lot of heritage there. Thank you, David. We, we, we've got a question maybe, Dave. Yes. Right. All right. I'm going to give us a kind of a touch point and then we're going to bring up our pastor. He's got to get to some other things. Imagine that today. Um, but he will listen to this on the, on the audio, so he'll catch up with it. <laughs> we've, we've come through St. Patrick, who was an Englishman who went to Ireland, called to Ireland, and then one of his disciples, if you will, St. Columba, who was an Irishman, went to Iona, brought the gospel to Scotland. So those were our first couple weeks. And we started in from St. Columba now, spreading out with his missionary team and it, it brings us back into England and to Lindisfarne, Holy Island. We're going to spend some time there today with St. Aidan and then uh, we'll just mention St. Cuthbert. There's a lot of places that we're not going to get a chance to go to in these three weeks. So that gives you just a little bit of a background of where we are and where we're going in this. But Dave, to honor your time, why don't you come up and uh, as, if this is your first week, what we're trying to do is we're trying to incorporate a number of different things. Information for your mind, but also a transformation of your heart and spirit that can help us form how we live, a formation of how to live. And so you're going to see the history, you're going to see and feel some of what we've just experienced in the worship of, of, through the music. We're going to have our interaction prayer as we right before and we're going to be praying for our pastor and other things that go on on this lord's day but dave has been to some of these sites and he is going to help us understand some things that only he can do because he's been there and done that done that but come on up dave and you've been there too i have as is dave um i have no pictures today i have no handout today it's been one of those weeks, which by now just about everybody in this room has figured out. So, um, But I have been thinking and I've been praying about, when, because my task is to be thinking and working on the spiritual end of all this. Okay, last week I sent you home telling you to start looking around for circles in various rooms or even outdoors. Did anybody come up with any Unique ones? Yeah. Basketball hoops. It's March. Of course, basketball hoops. I should have thought of that. Others? The zero that turns into an... Oh, yeah. That, that one. Yeah, okay. I won't go there anymore. Um, Okay, and, and the idea that the, the circle as a liturgical symbol uh, or as a draw for the Celtics uh, is important. It, it speaks of the Alpha and the Omega of God, the beginning and, and the fact that there is no beginning nor end of God. Um, it, it serves as a symbol of, of love uh, that is not to end but, but simply uh, continues. Today I want us to think about a different symbol 
Um, and it is um, where I'm actually going back to St. Patrick, um, the three-leaf clover. Okay, three-leaf clover. I've never found a four-leaf. I've found lots of three-leaf. Um, to the Celtics, the notion of Trinity is um, of first importance. Okay, so if, if we mainline Christians are accused of paying our most attention to God, and if the Baptists are accused of paying most of their attention to Jesus, and if the Pentecostals are accused of being all caught up in the Spirit, the Celts want to bring those all together. And if you look at their poetry, their religious poetry, uh, a lot of their hymnody, a lot of their liturgy, it, it constantly goes back to that theme. So it is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Um, it's always there. They, they very rarely will go off in their poetry um, and, and reference or work out of only one of those images. It's always the three. They hold them tightly. Um, and that's really important because if you don't hold all three tightly, then you are gonna, your, your theology is going to be less than it needs to be, should be, ought to be. It means it's less than the full truth of the entire gospel and the entire revelation of God. So for them, this idea of Trinity is critical. Um, so, this week, threes. Um, to serve as a reminder of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If, if, the, if the circle was to remind you of God as Alpha and Omega, as, um, as Christ as from eternity... Uh, as the power of love, as eternal. The, the notion of three keeps before us Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, two is good, three is better. So I was in the bathroom this morning drying off for my shower. And I noticed something in the bathroom of three. What was it? Careful, Jim. <laughs> you don't have to. I'm not thinking big detail here, Jim. <laughs> hand, hand, faucet and two handles. Hand cloth, washcloth, towel. Um what I noticed was the door hinge. On one side of the door hinge, the hinge that, that the part that is nailed to the, or screwed to the jam, there are two prongs. The part that is screwed onto the door has the three prongs. So the three goes into the two. And then the center spike. And something as simple as this, to note that the three-prong is on the door, and the door is what opens and closes. So just thinking about that simple little device on a door um, speaks to me of God's welcoming because the door is open. Well, most of the time. The door is open. Um, and the door invites me to walk in. And the door is, is held in position by Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, it's just these, these real simple little things that we pay attention to daily if we're looking 
that can serve for us as signs or reminders of the kingdom of God in Christ and spirit. So this week, go around and check all your doors and see if I'm right. Um, but be looking for threes. What do you have, what do you see that appear in threes? And as you ponder it, as you find them, just simply utter it to yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Those. Okay? Spiritual exercise for the day. Simple, and yet, to practice it can reroute how you think, how you look at things, and how you incorporate Trinity into your daily life, into your thinking, how it keeps it there. Gregory. Day. You're right on spot, and I had to think about this again last night as I was watching the Wisconsin game. If you didn't watch, if, if you didn't watch the Wisconsin game last night, they were eight for nine at the three-point range in the second half, and every time they did it, they praised God. <laughs> That's what I thought of. You know what? Three. There's a trinity and the, and the hands. That's the signal of the officials to say that's a three-pointer, by the way. They wish they could play three games. Because they'd win the last two. All right. Let's move on today a little bit. We're going to move to Holy Island. And this is Lindisfarne. And there's actually, uh, there's a couple of different musical groups. Uh, one is Iona that's based out of the Scottish place and Lindisfarne also you can go and Google these things and listen to that kind of music and it's very ethereal. This is the ruins of the ancient St. Aidan's uh, Cathedral that is there and, and we, f we find that, that s a lot of our information from Saint Aid about St. Aidan comes from uh, the Venerable Bede, uh, who wrote in about 700 A.D. And he wrote a lot about Aden that we now know today. And St. Aden lived from about 15, uh, five, I'm sorry, 590 A.D. until about 650. Now he too was an Irishman, uh, had studied at Iona, and he had, was good friends with King Oswald. The slide gives you a picture of where this would be located in the British Isles. So it's way up. In fact, you can see Scotland from there. And it's, it's actually part of what's called Northumbria. And this, this area had been won to Christ by another saint, Saint Ninian, we had mentioned last week a little bit, and, and the the people that had converted at that point of, 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 of that was before St. Aidan, they weren't still living it. The, the, the Christian culture had died out. And when St. Aidan came, he had to restore that. And we're kinda, we'll go into some of that as, as this comes through. But, but it had been there, but it had left, and now he had the task of going back and trying to bring bring Christianity not only just again but to stay we don't know a lot about his early life other than he was of Irish heritage we really pick him up at Iona and we know that he was a very strong ascetic and and he seriously seriously lived his life for Christ he was committed to, for his every ounce of his energy every single activity of his was to bring the Christian message of life and love and hope to the world. Very, very significant that, that he was saying that we have to, to live it before we can ever talk about it. And I think we really get this backwards, don't we? We talk a lot about it, but then we don't do such a good job of living it. And I think that this model for us, we really need to, to maybe think about Maybe I need, just need to be quiet for a while and start to live it better. 
That was how he was. Now, he was the second choice when, in, in history, King Oswald had ruled, his family had ruled that area, but then he had been deposed, and he went then to Iona, the King Oswald did, and studied there, got his faith together, came back, won his kingdom back, they sent him this first monk, and the first monk didn't do very well. And he said, I've got to have somebody like St. Columba. Well, the, 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 they didn't know if St. Aidan was going to be able to make it because he was so inward, they wondered if he would be any good outward. Well, he was both, and he just proved to be extre- extremely competent, and, they were, and his, the confidence in him really began to show as the thing moved on. You see the island there in the bottom right. This is where he went. And you may remember me saying that this is where he went because as this monastery grew and this community grew, they kept coming to him and he couldn't go to Jesus. He couldn't be with Jesus because of all the demands of his ministry. And so he sailed. And you can see it's a fair, I mean, this is taken from, the picture's taken from the island of Holy Island Lindisfarne, and now this little island right beside it, he rode over to it, and he began to dig. And as I told you last week that many people thought, oh, he's got a premonition of his death, he's digging his grave, and they were worried. And, you know, as he begins to sink down in the hole, and they can see from his waist up, and then from his shoulders up, and then his head just disappears, and now they can just see the dirt flying out, that's it, maybe the top of the shovel. And they, they were really distraught because why did he dig the hole? Because even when he was on that island, they could yell out at him about this thing or that thing that he needed a, a word about. He was so, so committed to spending time with God alone that he dug this hole. And this is where he went to go to be with Jesus. How, how are we doing on that? Dave is asking us to think about these things as we see them in our daily life. And that's part of the Celtic spiritual experience, that we do see those things. But the other part of the Celtic experience is that we have to go create our sacred space. Where's your sacred space? What have you specifically designed where nobody can bother you? And about the sacred time that you have to set aside. If you're serious about your faith, you will set aside time. A worship once a week is very good to collectively come. But it used to be a whole day. The Celts would say, we need a Lord's Day, a full day for spiritual formation. And now we've got it down to an hour. We've got the Lord's hour. We've given up the whole day. And we should have the Lord's hour every day. And how are we doing on it? This is the lessons that we can learn from St. Aidan that his outward grew from his inward. And we have to take that inward in order for us to have anything to live outward. This is how he restored Christianity. Now let me say that the two two reasons that we really have come to understand that the Christian community and Christian culture did not last after St. Ninian was that there there was two reasons. They really just sought converts rather than disciples. And there's a big difference here. And I'm not sure where you are on your spiritual journey. But there's a difference from just saying, oh yeah, I think Jesus is God, to saying I'm willing to commit myself on a daily basis to be his disciple. It's not enough just to get baptized. Getting wet doesn't get you into heaven. I think it's important. But it's not a convert. Ninian put water on a lot of people, but they didn't live it. They didn't, it didn't last. And what St. Aidan and then St. Cuthbert came up, come, coming after him, they said, no, we don't want it to be a moment's decision, a day. We want it to be a lifetime of discipleship. And if you're considering the Christian faith, that's what this means. For the rest of your life, that's what it means to follow Christ. Now, it's, it's, not, it's not at all bad. In fact, it's really blessed. It's the most blessed life you can have. 
but there's a difference. That's the first reason that it didn't last. They were just willing to get some people wet and have them say a few creeds, and then they were done. Go back to living the way you always live. No. The second reason is that they were trying to convert them to a Roman culture because the Catholic church, that was the only church that was there, these Celtic evangelists, they were Catholics. They, Ninian was bringing, you have to become a Roman in order to become a Christian. It goes back to that Old Testament. You have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. You have to become circumcised before you can become, become baptized. Well, that's not how the Celts went about it. They allowed the Celtic culture to inform their spirituality. Dave has mentioned that. We'll come back to that. So, as we move forward, you see this statue of St. Aidan in the middle of the old courtyard there where the old ruins were. He was very closely associated with King Oswald as we learned that the, the Celts were very, very uh, astute in knowing that they needed to help the leadership of their communities to, to form a, a, a culture. And not only were they into redeeming the individual person through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that through those people, they tried to redeem culture and bring a betterment to culture. Now, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Boko Haram, or what, however you might pronounce that, uh, that, that group, in 2014 killed 10,000 people. 8,000 of them were Christians. We don't, we don't hear much about that. They've recently kidnapped 500 Christian women and young girls. I, I, I don't get how that is, that, that's redeeming culture. Christianity tries to redeem culture. ISIS is going right now and destroying all kinds of artifacts um, what was the movie about during World War II that the, the, the guys that tried to go and... and all right, The Monument Man. That's what's going on right now in the Middle East. The archaeologists are trying to sneak in to grab hold of these documents and these statues and things that ISIS is going in and wiping out. They're wiping out a culture. The Christian way has never been that way. Now sometimes we've had Christians so-called that have gone in bad ways. And that may be what's happening here, that these are not necessarily true Islamic folks. They're going in bad ways. But nonetheless, it's happening. And the Christian culture is one that, tr the Christian belief rather, is one that, that believes we redeem the individual and then through the individuals we try to redeem culture in loving ways. So he was with King Oswald quite a bit. In fact, the two of them walked all over the kingdom. And oftentimes, King Oswald had to interpret. Remember, he was Irish, and now he's speaking the English. There needed to be some, some interpretation done. And his missionary efforts was always about friendship evangelism. That would be how we would phrase it today, the incarnational approach that Dave mentioned, that we incarnate the gospel. This is how St. Aidan went about bringing Christianity to Northumbria, to back to, to northern England. He would walk everywhere. Remember, remember we said that St. That Patrick and St. Uh, Columba had a ministry of conversation and that they would, they would go to people. This is what St. Aidan would do. He would walk everywhere and he would just engage anybody that he met, asking them about their life and engaging with them, trying to figure out who they were. He always said, we need to give them milk before we give them meat. And we need to, wherever they're at, we need to nurture them. Now, I, I get a real sense of that since my two grandsons, I have one that's two months old and one that's five months old, they're getting a lot of milk. But the big issue for this week for my daughter was we started on some cereal with the five-month-old. Not quite to meat, but move in that direction. My almost two-year-old He's into meat. He's ready to go. But this is what St. Aidan understood, that we can't just give people that are new to the faith the meat. We start them out on milk. And lovingly walk them through step by step. 
this is how he did it, that, that peripatetic ministry that he had with King Oswald. Go to all the world. This is one of the reasons why they were on islands. Iona was on an island. Uh, you could call I- Ireland an island. And, and this is an island in which Lindisfarne, Holy Island, is now an island, and that they go to the North Sea. This picture is actually taken from the castle there on, on Holy Island, and you can see the North Sea. And they, wanted, they, always, they always wanted to be near the water because that, this goes back to what Dave was saying, see things in your daily watch, in your daily routine. What, what they saw was, there's the ocean, we need to go. The ocean constantly reminded them that they shouldn't stay on the island, but they should go. This is why they were always by the ocean. And they developed again these crosses that Dave said the circle. And again, that the cross was on top of the circle because the circle was part of the cultural worship. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped the moon. They worshiped the earth. They worshiped the circle of life. All of these circles. And, and so they incorporated that Celtic culture into their symbolism. And they said, yes, all of those symbols... The Alpha and the Omega, we're going to complete that circle. But the cross is on top of them. The cross is always on top of them. And again, we see that his island that he said, and in giving you now meat, you need to go spiritually deep. And this center was, this, this monastery on, on a Holy Island was a center from which they went out and they, this was a, became a missionary training center. This became a storehouse of scholarly knowledge and a, and a site that sponsored all kinds of church planting. His personal piety led him to impact the less fortunate. So not only did he build these churches and schools and monasteries, but he personally was responsible for, their, for, for financing many of them. And he personally cared for orphans and slaves and others that were left in life's shuffle. He, he paid for their freedom. He personally would go and pay for slaves to get out of, of, of their slavery. But it all went back, I just want to keep driving this point home, it all went back to this daily scripture and psalm reading. And more importantly, not just to read them, but to meditate upon them. The meditative reflections this is part of why we're doing this series during Lent, that this is, this is a, a time in which the Christians try to meditate, that, and we try to get into these good habits during Lent that will then go around the calendar for us. And so St. Aidan modeled this, and he fasted until the ninth hour of the day on both Wednesday and Friday. Catholics in general did Fridays. He added a second day, and there was a whole movement that joined him to fast on those days. Well, what's his legacy today? More pictures from Holy Island. The main picture is St. Mary's. There's still a very sacred place for pilgrims. You can go there today. Uh, My wife and I and some others have gone, and we have gone to worship with this community. And it's it's the community of St. Aidan and and also St. Hilda. And you can go online and Google it. You can see that community. And Ray Simpson is a man who conducts some of these services, has written a number of of, uh, books that you can get to help your personal meditation. And so St. Mary's now, you see, is the new cathedral on the left, and the ruins of the old cathedral is still there on the right. It's also in Northumbria, and this other church up in that right-hand corner is the Northumbrian Anglican Church that is on the mainland that you can actually see from Holy Island, but they wanted a, a, a church on the mainland. And in fact, I have some very good friends whose son was married in that, in that cathedral there, that Northumbrian uh, Anglican Church. It has a very, very unique, I've never seen this in any other place, on the as you go into the door, I should have actually maybe put a picture of it, it has a sundial on it so that people can tell the time of the day. And right beside it 
is a dish to receive television. <laughs> I mean, right beside it. And I thought, what a perfect picture of building on the old but embracing the new and that this church is trying to keep its roots firmly in the ground but then being able to take wing and fly wherever they need to. So the, the legacy goes on in these churches but also the Lindisfarne Gospels. And if you would go online again, you can Google Lindisfarne Gospels and see them. And much to the chagrin of the people <laughs> at, in, at here at Holy Island, those, those works of antiquity have been moved to the London Library, and that's where they're kept. Those people there would like them to be there, but you can still see an electronic version when you go there to the museum, and you can actually turn the pages electronically to see the pages come up, kind of like your Kindles or what have you. But these Lindisfarne Gospels were the Bible that was not only written out in longhand, but also illustrated in, mo in the most beautiful ways of combining the Celtic arts to explain visually, graphically, what the words are saying. And, and they, they restored and, and copied, and they also did things outside of the Bible, and it was one of the places that many of the works that are, are ancient works of literature uh, have been saved by those Celtic monks for, through the years. We have much to thank them for, just like now these archaeologists and others that are in the Middle East that are preserving these things to the risk of their own life. This is what these monks were doing in, during the Dark Ages when everything was being destroyed. But I think that one of the, one of the main things that, that lasts as a legacy for St. Aidan is that this friendship evangelism, that, that this, we, we, we talk to people, we engage with people, that we, we don't preach at people. We live with people in their daily lives, loving them. And if our faith can't be lived out in such a way that other people are attracted to it, then there's something wrong with it, quite honestly. I know you agree with me on that. But this, is, this was his way of going about it. And I think there's much to learn. And I am involved in sports ministry, as you might well know, and helping churches around the world learn how to do sport so that these relationships can begin and be maintained. And one of the main churches that I've talked about often here is this church in downtown Cairo. And in a, in a country where if you start to talk to somebody about Jesus, you can be thrown in jail or worse, they are training their people of how to play soccer and basketball and do other recreational things so that at some point over the next few years that they might ask them the question because if they're asked about Jesus, then they can reply. And this is why this church has grown to over 10,000 in downtown Cairo and has planted 200 churches throughout the Middle East. And this way of going is really how we need to be going about this. That, that's, let's take a look at a couple things here to, to put this in perspective for us. First of all, the concept on the left side. And on the right side, you see how the Romans perceived things, and then in the middle, how the Celts kind of adapted that. And that in terms of civilization, the Romans said we have to get people civilized before they can become Christians, but the Celts said it's the gospel that civilizes people. You can't have a civilization until you actually have the gospel. And so let's get people to the gospel, and then we can change the culture. How is the role of the priest, chaplain and administrator, as opposed to an evangelist, a shepherd, a reformer, the person that goes out as opposed to the person who stays in, which leads to the next one. Is this a, a fortress, a place of retreat, or is it, is it in the marketplace? Are we, are we to leave that and get it right into the marketplace? And is, in terms of ministry, the Romans said it had to be professional, it could only be priest, it had to be inward. We have to re reproduce the word. Write it out, write it out, write it out. 
as opposed to the Celts who did some of that and understood some of that, but they said that what needed to be reproduced was people. People need, we need to have a constant moving of the faith from person to person and that it should be lay-led and that the professionals are not to do the work, they're to enable and empower everyone else to do the work. They're to be the trainers, we're to be the evangelists. Their theology, heavenly and philosophical, earthly and relevant. Let's bring that heavenly theoretical stuff down to earth. Let's make it work. That was the Celtic way. The culture, you've got to adopt adopt the Roman culture. No, let's redeem the local culture. The ultimate clash happened then at this chapel now at Whitby. And this is now uh, in northern England as well. And if you get a chance to go to Whitby, you'll get fish and chips and mushy peas, which is a delicacy which you and I probably won't like. I happen to like it, but my wife didn't like it. But this Whitby is a sea-bearing place. Does anybody know the, the famous explorer that came out from there? He went all the way around the world. Hook, you know, goes all the way around the world. Lands in, I've actually been here at Whitby, and then I've actually been in Sydney, Australia, where he landed and, you know, went around the world. Anyway, uh, this is where this final synod the Synod of Whitby in 664 A.D., where this Roman and Celtic culture actually kind of clashed. And who's going to win out? Well, you see on the slide that the non-mission group, meaning the Roman way, won out over the mission, the Celtic way. They were not growing, but they won out, even though the Celtic way was really growing numerically and culturally. We went from the bottom up to the top down. We had the professional over the laity, the outsider coming in to do the work as opposed to the the insider, the indigenous. And even though at this point the Celtic church was trumped in terms of the synod, this meeting of these clerics, you can't snuff out truth. You can't snuff out what the Holy Spirit's doing. And the Celtic went underground a little bit, but it continues today. This way of, of reaching the world continues today. Let me just stop there. Questions that you might have? Right. Let's bring up our prayer for the day. And for those of you that have not been with us, we, we enter in our last few minutes into a, a Celtic-style prayer. And as David said to you that the Trinity is a huge part of, of the experience and that what he said about the three-leaf clovers uh, always symbolizing the Trinity and, and, and what the Celts would do is they would go into the people and they would find out culturally what is it that's speaking to them? What is it that they have this kind of almost spirituality about? And they realized that they, he realized that they had a fascination with the Trinity, with the, with the tripartness of life. And that he could communicate to them the Christian message by saying, see how your culture has predisposed you to understanding the gospel, the Trinity of God. Our role today is to try to find out what's happening in our culture and help people see how that has predisposed them to the gospel. Now I'm going to sideline just very quickly with C.S. Lewis. You remember the story about C.S. Lewis being with some of the other men that they would get together and they would read their stories together and they would, they would talk about things. And on one particular night, they were talking about the Norse myths, the myths that came out of Norway. 
And one of the comments was, there is a sacrificial death and a raising up of life, think of the phoenix, in all of mythology, that life comes out of the ashes, and that every culture has this same story. And Lewis, uh, they called him Jack, said, That's, this, is, this is why I don't believe in this myth about Jesus. It's just the Jewish myth. Tallers, Tolkien, the, the guy that wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, very, very devout Catholic man, says, but Jack, that's exactly why I do believe in And he says, Tallers, what are you talking about? He says, isn't it just like God to help us understand in our own culture the gospel so that when the gospel actually came, we could see it clearly? He said the difference between the Norse myths and the Greek mythology, etc., is that none of those people actually ever lived. But Jesus did. And what we're getting ready to do starting today with Holy Week is to relive actual historical things that happened. And every one of us has to be confronted with this. Do we believe this or do we not? And this is the true myth, as Lewis came to say it. That what Jesus did starting on Palm Sunday and moving through Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then through Easter, this is the true myth. And Lewis said that when Tallers told him that his mind was on fire, and that they went out that night and started to walk through downtown Oxford, and about, because they got thrown out at about 2, 2 a.m., and they walk for another hour, and they're just, and Lewis is just on fire. And finally, Tallers says, Jack, you're single. My wife's wondering where I am. I, I'm going home. And Lewis walked with another gentleman for a while. He couldn't get that out of his mind. That's why he then wrote years later the Narnian Chronicles. He went back to that night and he says, I must create a myth so that people, when they read it, and what better time to read it than when we were a child? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe so that we could actually see the gospel. This is what comes through the Celtic spirituality. Let's enter into this time of prayer. And on the prayer, and are you going to... Greg set a a mood here, and I know it's going to be very hard to get you all back. I went through this last week, and uh, I think I remembered it all week. I want to tell you that for the next two months following... Um, Zev Rosenberg is going to be here. Zev was trained in Israel in theology there and also has been trained in the United States. He is a converted Messianic Jew. He'll be teaching with John David on the book of Hebrews. For a minute, I need your imagination. Pretend for me just a second that this is a brand new Bible wrapped with a bow. And thanks uh, to Greg and in the spirit of spirituality, I purchased for him a Bible, a Reformed Bible from his favorite author, R.C. Sproul. Mm. Just last week, this Bible came available and came out. It has several contributors, and it was organized by R.C. Sproul. So in our private moment, I will do this and offer his thanks from this class, Mm. a memento of this week of Celtic spirituality and teaching from his favorite author, R.C. Sproul. Um, Thank you, Dan. It's very gracious. Thank you. I'm going to, uh, I'll say the things that are not italicized. You'll say the things that are italicized. And where there are three dots at the end is a time for you to personally engage silently where you are on those thoughts. And we'll lead you through this as we enter in. And you're going to see pictures of St. David's. St. David was the Welsh saint that brought prayer to Wales. So let's enter into a time of prayer. In the name of the Father with me now, who ordained the Sabbath day rest. In the name of the Son 
who proclaimed the Sabbath day was made for man. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who inhabits our Lord's Day worship. Most Holy Father, on this Lord's Day, O Lord of light, I need thy illumination for you, where, where you're at. What do you need illumination for? What are you struggling with? What do you need an answer to? Most Holy Father, on this Lord's Day, O Lord of strength, I need thy encouragement for. Where are you downhearted? Where do you need encouragement? Most Holy Father, on this Lord's Day, O Lord of creation, create in me a clean heart that I may worship thee on this thy day. What do you need to confess? Most holy Jesus Christ, on this day that thou didst rise from the dead, O Lord of life, heal my body. Where do you need healing? Or who do you know that needs healing? Most holy Jesus Christ, on this day that thou didst rise from the dead, O Lord of wholeness, heal my brokenness of spirit. Where are you broken and you need his touch? Most holy Jesus Christ, on this day that thou didst rise from the dead, O Lord of love, heal my heart of hate. Where do you need love rather than hate? Most Holy Spirit, on this day that thou didst descend on Pentecost, O Lord of eternal inspiration, I offer my Lord's Day worship solely up to thee. Let's continue. O Lord, who inspired the writing of thy supernal word, inspire me anew through the reading, hearing, and meditating on thy inspired word. O Lord, the internal comforter, Comfort my anxieties through singing thy inspired hymns. On this thy day, O Heavenly Father, we thank thee, thou art worthy to receive our worship. On this thy day, O loving Jesus Christ, we thank thee, thy resurrection enables us to rest. On this thy day, O sustaining Holy Spirit, we thank thee, Thou empowereth our praises. O eternal Lord, the Holy Three in One, on this Lord's Day we thank Thee that Thou didst ordain an entire day of worship, rest, and witness for Thy church universal. On this Lord's Day we pray Thou wouldst supernaturally Join me. Empower thy preacher to proclaim thy word and us to joyfully receive it. Inspire thy teachers to faithfully explain thy word and us to apply its lessons. Enable our worship leaders to sing thy word Receive our worship of Thee, most holy God. Infuse our fellowship around Thy Word with a rich appreciation for brothers and sisters in Christ. Renew our strength 
and restore our spirits as we rest, recreate, and reflection on thy word. Encourage both our corporate and our personal witness and outreach. And can we all, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you.